Everybody all right? You're glad you're not running, aren't you? <laughs> My name's Micah. I am thrilled to be with you this morning. Uh, like Brad said in the little intro, uh, I pastor a church called Awaken Covenant Church up in Lilydale, right on the river in St. Paul. Uh, it's pretty much just like Crossview, uh, except for, we have a couple of pictures of our place. Uh, it's in a comedy club, so there's the smell of the, tur- the, the f- deep fat fryer that makes the whole place smell like a restaurant, and there's a bar upstairs, so it's like Crossview, except it's not. Um, but uh, this, is, uh, this is our place, and uh, um, I've been there, uh, we started Awaken about four years ago, last, uh, 2010, and th- our, the stage that I occupy on Sunday morning is half the size of this carpet. So if I start running around, it's just because I'm excited to not be in a cage. Um. Okay, friends, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 32. So I want to invite you to turn there if you have your Bibles. You guys are in this way, what is it, wayfinding. I was going to say wayfaring, but I think that's a song, wayfaring stranger maybe. Wayfinding Bible, and we're sticking with it. So I was excited when Brad told me about Uh, This day and this text will be there. Um, A year ago, last week, on on Sunday morning, my wife was running the Twin Cities Marathon. Now, I was pastoring the church, and so I couldn't really be there or couldn't do the running. So, uh, but my my, my wife, she did that. She finished, ran the marathon, which was pretty exciting. But actually, I was in Israel uh, at this time last year. And I had an experience in Israel that has changed my life in a lot of ways. Uh, My parents, when I was a sophomore in college, uh, got divorced, and that began when I was a senior in high school with a gambling addiction that my dad had developed. And that experience for me was traumatic and and, uh, filled with a lot of pain, as you might imagine, but one of the things that came from that for me was at a time in my life when I really longed for a dad and a father who could pour into me as a young man and say, I see you, and I believe in you, and all of those things that dads ought to do for their kids, I just didn't get that. And that developed a longing that I uh, still have to this day, uh, that I, even as a young man and as a, uh, a new youth pastor and went, went off to college and all that, but I really longed for, and I looked for, and I sought after men who could be that for me in my life. And for whatever reason, I just never got that, or I never found that. It's not because I didn't pray for it. It's not because I didn't ask for it. People would say, well, maybe you should pray about that. And I'm like, I am praying about it all the time, and I just cannot find it. And it produced a lot of anger in me, if I'm being really honest with you. I was really, uh, I was disappointed because I felt like I deserved that. That I was, uh, I wanted so badly for somebody to say, I think you're worth it. For me to invest myself in you and my time in you and my life into you as a young man. And so I went to Israel last year and I'm standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it's everything you could imagine that you might imagine from reading the Bible stories. The the wind is blowing in off the, the lake and the waves are coming up and the sun is just dancing on the water. And I felt the wind against my face and it was one of those moments where you just sense God saying something to you. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. But I heard God say, Micah, how is your anger working? (laughs) You ever watch Dr. Phil? He's like, so how's that working for you? (laughs) I just felt God say, like, how's how's that working for you? Is your anger serving any purpose anymore? 
And like God does, I just felt like I began to unravel a little bit in that moment. And I was open, maybe for the first time in a long time, to a new possibility, a new way forward. Now, I thought my moment would come in the desert when I was in Israel. You, can't, you go to Israel and you sort of expect, like, if God is going to speak, it's, I mean, it, and it doesn't happen in Israel, like, give me my money back, right? So I'm thinking it's going to happen in the desert, right? Uh, it, we were, we, our trip started in the north and went down all the way into the south into the desert, and I thought for sure, you know, and all the voices are quiet and I'm out there all by myself, like, God will speak. In the scriptures, this happens often. Genesis 16, Hagar goes out into the desert. She, she, she names God as the one who sees me. God speaks in the desert. Moses goes out into the desert. God speaks. Jesus goes out into the desert. God speaks. I thought, man, this one's ironclad, baby. And, like God does, totally surprised me. I'm standing in the most populated city in all of Israel, Jerusalem, and it is a zoo. I mean, there's like... <laughs> Uh, it was a Monday, and on Monday, all the bar mitzvah and the bat mitzvahs, the kids, the boys and the girls come. They have merrymakers. This is unbelievable. They actually, you can, you can hire merrymakers, and they're like beating on drums and blowing on horns, and it's just like, ba, ba, da, 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 da. you know, like it's nuts at the, at the, at the wall, the, the wailing wall in Jerusalem. And sure enough, this is where God decides to find me. And we're standing at the, the southern wall of the Temple Mount. And I had come with a prayer. If you know anything about that tradition, people come and they put these prayers in the wall of Jerusalem, in the temple. And so my prayer was simple. And it was, God, I think I'm tired of being angry. And if you want to father me, okay. Very profound, deep theological prayer. And so I walk up to the wall and I stuff this little prayer in the wall. And that experience a year ago last weekend has begun something in me and has produced or sent me on a journey that I'm still working out. And it was in a lot of ways a threshold moment for me where I crossed over into a new season of my life. And I share all that to say that I think that this story for Jacob in Genesis 32 is a bit like that, a threshold moment if you will. So I'd ask that you stand, if you can, and we will read from God's word, Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22. The word of the Lord. That night, Jacob got up and looked, or took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions, and so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Pray with me. God, here we are, and here you are. 
Jacob once said, surely the Lord is in this place and I am not aware of it. And so we don't pray that you would show up. We don't pray that you would come. But rather we pray that our eyes would be opened. That our ears would be opened. That our hearts would be soft. To hear the God who is already present right here, right now, for us. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. So three important pieces of this story that I want to sort of pull on the threads of. You could probably do a lot more than three, but for our time this morning, I want to just pull three threads. And the first one, I would say it this way, in, in the form of a question, will you cross over? The story of the scriptures is, it was written thousands of years ago about people that we've never met and will never meet on this side of death. And yet, it's a book It's a divinely inspired story and book that is still speaking to us today, which is an interesting thing, that God is revealing God's self to us today. And so, will you cross over? This is a story about people, but it's a story about people, us, humans. Now, a little bit of history about Jacob and our man before we kind of unpack this would be helpful. He's the third patriarch of Israel's Great three. I am the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We hear this all the time in the scriptures. He's the son of Isaac and Rebekah. He's the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. He had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. He had one daughter that we know of um, from four different women, which is another sermon for another day. We'll let Brad tackle that one. Bam! Um, His brother was Esau. He was a twin, and he came out of his mother holding the heel of his brother, which becomes important a bit later. Um, His father loved Esau. His mother loved Jacob, it says in the scriptures. And Jacob brokers a deal with his brother Esau. So his brother Esau comes in from being hungry and hunting and doing, doing what he does. He says he's famished, and Jacob says, tell you what, I'll give you the stew if you give me your birthright. I'm pretty sure he got the better end of that deal, but uh, either way, Esau says yes, and he Gives away his birthright. Jacob then deceives his father, supplants his brother, and steals the blessing, which would normally go to the oldest boy in an Israelite home. So he does that, and of course his brother Esau is livid and, and chases him out of the house and out of the country, out of the family, and he leaves and go to his, goes to, I think it's his uncle, um, and, and Laban, and he meets uh, these two women, Rachel and Leah, who he eventually ends up marrying. Then this is an interesting story. If you ever read the Bible and you don't think it's got some interesting like Jerry Springer type material, you're not, you're not reading the right stuff. Jacob works for seven years to marry Rachel, right? And on the wedding night, the, the father-in-law tricks him, gives him Leah. He sleeps with her, wakes up in the morning and is like, how did this happen? To which I would ask, how do you sleep with somebody and not know who they are? We'll let Brad tackle that one too. So he works for another seven years, and then he finally gets the woman that he first wanted, Rachel. So these become two of the the mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, There's some animosity that rises up, and something happens in the household of Laban, and he flees Laban's house, and that's where we pick up our story, where Jacob is heading back home to find Esau, his brother, who he hasn't seen in ages, who the last time he met was absolutely hacked off because he took his blessing. So if you're Jacob, like, what is going through your mind at this point? Like, what a life, right? 
I mean, all kinds of interesting things. To say that Jacob's check, uh, past is checkered is a bit of an understatement. And based on what we're told from scriptures, he's at the center of a lot of controversial things. But then there's this moment in our story, which we read, this proverbial, like, look in the mirror kind of moment. And so Jacob comes to the river Jabbok, and he sends his wives and his children and all of his possessions across the river, but the text says, but he did not cross over. Now, it's interesting that the word Hebrew, in Hebrew, literally means to cross over. So to be the people of God, one must cross over. And you find again and again and again in the scriptures where people are invited, they're at these threshold kinds of moments, and they're invited to cross over into something that God is inviting them into. Think Moses at the burning bush. Think Abraham and Isaac. Think Jacob, will you cross over? Do you have the courage to take the next step, the step that's hard, the one that's uncertain, that you don't know what's coming when God says go? So maybe just a couple of questions for us this morning as we pause. Is there any sense in which you feel like God is inviting you to take a step of faith? Maybe it's a first step of faith, but I'm guessing that for many in the room, there may be other situations you find yourself in. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's work-related. Maybe it's a family member whom you need to have a difficult conversation with or whom you need to go back to and say, I'm sorry. Maybe it's a, one of your children. Will you cross over? Gang, the name of the people of God, to be Hebrew, is to be one who crosses over. And this is not something that we do once, but it's something that we're invited to do again and again and again and again. And this is what they call faith. And so I ask you this morning, will you cross over? Day two in the creation story is when God separates the waters and it says that God creates an expanse. And guess what fills the expanse, gang, in the Genesis story? Everything, life as we know it, everything that exists is put in this expanse that God creates. This moment for Jacob on the Jabbok River, this is day two. Here's an expanse. Will you walk into it? Will you cross over? So this is a story about Jacob, but I wonder if it's not a story about you and me. Will you cross over? Pick up the, the story in verse 24. It says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of his hip, so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. We have been at this all night long. Come on. He says, Let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. When's the last time you talked to God like that? No, I will not let you go until you answer my question, until you bless me. I grew up in a family uh, of five boys, if you can imagine that. My mother is an angel. She is a saint, in case you're wondering. Um, and I, we grew up in a very conservative church. So t conservative to the tune that there were two real high-backed chairs that the pastor would sit in and the worship leader would sit in. Have you ever been to that church? No, none of you. Okay, great. Oh, I was there, and uh, 
Uh, my grandma and grandpa were in the choir. They would, you know, Elmer and Jeannie, just faithful as the day is long, singing up there. Oh, man, we, my brothers and I, if, you, if, you, if you've ever been around boys, merciless, right? Just merciless. And we would just, oh, I can't even believe it. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know the vibrato? And so we would, you know, play, we would do these skits about, like, Christmas Eve. We'd go to my grandma's church uh, my, my, on my mom's side, and there was, there was always these just awesome Christmas Eve, you know, deals. And we would just, we were terrible. We were terrible children. We would mock these people. It was bad news, bad news. And I was a curious kid. I asked lots of questions. I, 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 never, I never, like, took the first answer. And it got me in lots of trouble, lots of trouble as a kid. And I learned at an early age, especially when it came to religion and church, that questions are not really often met with much fanfare. Um, so the four brothers and, and I, we, we, there was a lot of wrestling that took place in our, in our home. How many of you have boys that, that live in your house? Okay, a few of you. We, would, we live in a very, very small house, seven people, five boys, in probably a 1,200-square-foot house. My brothers and I, three of us were in one room, bunk bed, bunk bed, trundle bed, pulled it out from underneath, and the other bedroom was bunk bed, bunk bed. My parents slept in a hide-a-bed in the living room, which also doubled as their bedroom. So we would take all the cushions from all the couches. So if anybody's wondering, like, oh, we don't have enough space, I would say to you, man, come on. So we'd take all the cushions and all the blankets from my parents' bed, and we would put them in the middle of the room. And this was the wrestling pit. And then we would, we would wrestle one another, and we would jump off of the top of the couches. Uh, there was this one wrestler named Jimmy Superfly Snooka. Any, anybody remember wrestler? Yeah, a couple. Yeah, yeah, okay. Jake the Snake Roberts, yeah. Uh, Randy the Macho Man Sandwich, bite into a Slim Jim. Oh, yeah, that guy. So Jimmy Superfly Snooka, he'd stand on the top turnbuckle. I think he was from the Hawaiian Islands or something. He'd be like, whoa, and then he'd just flying elbow smash. And so we would do this until either somebody bled or somebody cried. Wrestling, wrestling, wrestling all the time. Now, here's the thing. With questions and with wrestling and with doubt, when you bring that into religious circles or churches, it gets a little dicey because often what comes with those kinds of dispositions is uncertainty. And if we're being honest, black and white's easier. And it's easier to keep you all in line and to know who's in and who's out and where the lines are, and when I'm doing the right thing, and when I'm doing the wrong thing. And so questions, and uncertainty, and doubt, and wrestling, it's usually kind of like, yeah, that's nice, but, you know, we're going to have a doubt night, but we really don't want to ask, we don't want you to really actually doubt. Like, did the resurrection of Jesus actually happen? Okay, you can doubt a lot of things, but not that one. You ever thought about that? Somebody rose from the dead. People looking in from the outside, that is crazy town. Connected to the, the beginnings of God's people in the world is Jacob, one who wrestled with God, who said, I will not give in. I will not give up until I get an answer to this question. There's this woman in our church, we'll call her Sandy. She grew up in a house where she was always told, fall in line, stop asking questions, do what you're told, obey the first time, and it just killed her. And for most of her life, she was angry and bitter, and she had lots of questions that just she couldn't ask. 
She wrote me an email a while back. One of the, one of the bumper stickers at Awaken is permission to question. And she, she took us up on it. She said this after a sermon I gave. On a Monday morning, I get this email. Micah, I wanted to share a reaction I had to your sermon today. For the most part, I found it poignant and inspirational. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. But there was one piece you kept going back to that I very much respectfully disagree with. Through your talk, you made these statements about prayer, how it can change you, but that's not the reason why we pray, or that's not why we pray. A couple times you said something about, if it was the only reason you were going to pray, it would be a lesson in obedience and nothing more. I don't think that's true at all. <laughs> how many of you have ever written to, pa- to, to Pastor Brad that email? Like, thanks for your sermon, totally disagree with you. <laughs> Here's the irony. Often in religious circles and in churches, we sort of say, okay, doubting questions, uncertainty, if you could just leave them over here so that we can get together and sing our songs. And we can talk about God as if everything we're saying is making sense. And I want to say to you that fundamental to the people of God When it begins with Jacob, he wrestles with God. Did you know, by the dancing way, Israel literally means one who wrestles with God and people and is is able. So the people of God in the world who then get redefined in Jesus, their name means to wrestle. So if you're here this morning and you've ever been told at church, stop asking questions. If you could just quiet down a little bit. Or thanks but no thanks. Can I just say to you, if you want to wrestle with God because somebody got cancer and they shouldn't have, welcome! If you're here this morning and you have words for God because your parents' marriage fell apart, I'm glad that you're here. Maybe your marriage fell apart. I'm glad you're here. Maybe you've got something to say to God because you were abused as a kid. And you have all kinds of questions and doubts. Welcome! If the church isn't that kind of place, then we are off. And we have missed what it means to be the people of God. Now, jokingly, I said to Brad, you know, I can, I can preach these things because then you have to clean everything up. I just drive back to Minneapolis after this. But I don't, if I know Brad, I don't think that I'm too far off. And I think that he would agree with me. Welcome. If you have questions, if you have doubts, if you have uncertainties about who God is, wrestle with them. Do not be afraid of them. Press into them. I will not let you go. Until you bless me, Jacob says. So we find Jacob at the river being invited to cross over. We have a guy who just will not give in and says, I will not let you go. And then we have this last one, which is a bit of a game changer. It comes in verse 27. Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Now, names have this juicy, juicy meaning and, and, and fun uh, sort of river in, in, the, in the scriptures. When somebody has a name, it's usually more than just a name. So, for example, Abraham and Sarah, they used, the artists formerly known as Abram and Sarai, they get one letter added to their name, and it happens to be the letter in God's name. Interesting. Hagar, in Genesis 16, after Sarai concocts this crazy idea to have her have a sleepover with her husband. You know what I'm talking about? 
And then, she, her, and then Sarai gets upset about the concoction that she put together and, and mistreats her, beats her, and she flees out to the desert. Her name literally means flight. She's doing what her name is. You have J, uh, Joseph. Joseph's name means even more. You get thrown in a cistern by your brothers, I think God might have even more planned for you. You get, undo, you get un, uh, unjustly accused and get thrown into prison in Pharaoh's camp, I think God may have even more for you. Moses' name means to be drawn from the water. Come on, come on, you can't make that stuff up. It's his destiny. Egypt means the narrow place. Yeshua, Jesus, means salvation. Names mean a lot. Jacob, anybody remember what Jacob's name means? Heal. <laughs> I mean, Micah means he was like God. Bam. Jacob means heal or deceiver or to supplant. So Jacob's name means heal. And of course, if you remember, he comes out of his mother grasping his brother's what? Heal. Yeah. So there are these rivers in Scripture that run from the beginning to the end. These themes that you would do well to pay attention to. And one of them is, what is your name? Do you know your name? And it's so very interesting in the story of Jacob. If you go back a little bit in the story, he's standing before his father, Isaac, and he says to him, is this my son Esau? And what does Jacob say? Yes. What is your name? I'm going to back away from that one slowly. He can't even say his own name. He won't do it. And then finally, we fast forward to this point in the story, and he's asked again, what is your name? And for the first time in the story of Jacob, we hear him say his own name. And he stands at the river Jabbok, and he says, heal, deceiver, supplanter. That's my name. You cannot take hold of the sacred future, that which God is inviting you into, until you are able to stand in and understand and recognize your past. So, do you know your name? And it's not a question about what's on your birth certificate, right? This is a question behind a question. I'll play this out. When I was a kid, I had a terrible temper. Really, really hothead. I threw a lot of things. My brother, he was a thrower. I once got, he got mad at me. He literally threw a pencil sharpener at me. You know the ones that you mount to a tabletop? He threw that at me. He threw a butter knife at me once and missed and hit the stove door. That was an awesome one. It was like, and then, and then he had to pay for it. You know, that was sweet. But I had a hothead, terrible temper as a kid. And when I would get upset, I would like, you know, just start fuming. And my brothers, they would literally, this is, I'm not joking you, they would say, Spaz, 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 spaz. I mean, what kind of people do that? And sure enough, I would just flip and just lose it. When I was in college, I played golf, and I got kicked off my college golf team because I, had a, because I was a spaz. Sometimes people give you names that may be or may not be true of you, and you live in them. And you let them identify, you let them sort of uh, hem you in. I was, a, I was a youth pastor. We were doing a Sunday night service at a church that I worked at, and I was leading that. And I had a boss who just 
did not see me, couldn't see me, for whatever reason. And so I had, on the fateful day, was in his office and received a performance improvement plan. Anybody ever gotten one of those? Not a good day. This was more like a personality improvement plan. It was just all of the things that this person did not like about me. And then the last thing that they said was, Micah, I don't think you're a teacher, and I don't think you're a very good leader. I think you should probably just lead worship or stick with youth ministry. But I don't think you're a teacher. What have people said about you? What are the names that you've received in your life? Kids, if you're in the room today, listen up. Some of you have parents who see you and who have named you, not just given you a name, but they see you and they call out what is in you. And they invite you to be everything that God has already put inside of you. And you are lucky because not everybody gets that. And sometimes we hear names and names are given to us that do not belong. But we, we wear them like a robe, don't we? When I felt like God said, Micah, I'm inviting you to plant this new church, it took me a year to climb out of all, and what voice did I hear? You're not a teacher. You're not a leader. You're not a pastor. So here we have Jacob, thousands of years ago, and yet here we are. I wonder if God isn't inviting any of you to these questions. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and I want to lead you just in a, a time of reflection as we close. So they're going to play quietly, and I want to invite you to reflect on a few of these questions. So if you would, uh, whatever you need to do to kind of find your own space, if that's spread out a little, if it's close your eyes, bow your heads, whatever you want to do, that's fine. And I just want to invite you to this, if you'd let me lead you. So if you would... Uh, Science tells us that to the degree that we can see something in our mind's eye is the degree to which we can be transformed by it. So what we believe to be true, we actually see in our minds. So I want you to imagine. So close your eyes. Imagine that you are standing on the bank of a river. And see it in your mind. Now for Jacob... What was on the other side for him was unknown. It was uncertain. It was filled with fear and anxiety. And yet God was inviting Jacob to cross over. And for Jacob, there were a lot of questions. And he wrestled with God. And when asked what his name was, for the first time, he stood in his past and he allowed God to invite him into a future that included being the people of God. And so I would just ask you this morning, as you imagine yourself standing on that river's edge, what is it that you hear? Maybe the still small voice of God has something for you this morning. Will you cross over? What are your questions? Bring them. And what's your name? So maybe just for the next minute or so, just invite you to play that conversation out with God.
Go ahead and do that. here we are and here you are I pray for my friends who are standing on this edge hearing you invite them or question with them or speak truth about their name and God I pray for courage courage to take steps towards Maybe reconciliation or forgiveness or, or stepping out into something that they don't think they can do. God, I pray not for answers, but for you. More of you, deeper relationship with you. And that as we find you, our hearts would rest. And for those, God, that need to know and hear the name that is in them, that you see that you've given. I pray for friends and family, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers who would see like you see and call us out, would take light out of darkness. God, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for spending time with us, for offering yourself to us. We pray these things in your name. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing with one voice, one last song, and declare that he's the one that does the things that we talk about. So let's sing together.